If you don't know me, my name's Richard and I'm one of the partners. So uh, by that reckoning, I reckon in about 10 days' time we'll all be getting our suntans again. It's the way it's going at the moment, isn't it? Um, if you are new to us, welcome. Uh, let me catch you up. We're, we're starting the year in a short series, five weeks. And we're going through five psalms. And we've called this series, as per the sign up there, God of Refuge. And the overall intention of the series is to help us to see that um, uh, in a world that is at times confusing and anxious and very often hallmarked by things like injustices and wars and political and economic instability, that for the Christian, for us, for the follower of Christ, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the storms and the uncertainties of life, we have a rock-like, steady, unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, perfectly good Father in heaven who is our refuge in the storms of life to whom we can run. I think I've pretty much said it all there. That is the basis, of, that's what I'm going to say today, that's the basis of our faith, that's what we believe, that's what we're preaching. Today we're in uh, Psalm 71, uh, so if you've got a church Bible, flick through to there. We're going to work through that in just a moment, although the, the words will come up on the screen as well. Um, but before we get there, I just wanted to start with a story of something that happened to me a few years back. Um, I've told the story up here once before a few years back, so my apologies if it rings a bell. You're not having deja vu. Um, you have probably heard it before. Um, but it was a significant moment for me, actually, and I think it really helps to articulate um, some of what we're going to kind of wring out of this psalm this morning too, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you as well. So about nine years ago, I was going through a pretty rough patch in life, physically and emotionally. I was very run down. My batteries were really spent, and I was at a real low ebb and feeling under just a lot of general life stress. We all go through seasons like that, and I just was nine years ago. And in this period, one day, I went for a walk with Vix and my kids down to the Bournemouth beachfront. And uh, it was during the air show, so it was fairly loud and chaotic, and you know what it's like. There were stalls and tourists, and they got loads of funfair rides down on the prom. Exactly what you needed at an air show is more funfair rides, but they put them down there anyway. And, uh, and everyone was having a really good time. And this just made me feel even worse, I'm honest with you. And I remember looking out to the sea from the prom and thinking, I really hate this. I'm really tired, I'm worn out, I'm stressed, I'm just not at all enjoying life, and I don't see the point. Lord, won't you just reach in and deliver me from this awful season? And as I stood there, next to the, I don't know, the dodgems or whatever it was, with music just blaring out from all these rides and the people on the beach, I remember hearing one song coming through the noise, and it was coming, I'm pretty sure, from the dodgems, um, of all places, and the lyrics of the song were simply this, praise him, you've got to praise him, over and over again, and I, I couldn't quite believe it, I was like, can anyone else hear this, and is God actually speaking to me through the dodgems, and, um, and I can't believe that I'm hearing praise him through a fairground ride, but as, as sure as the day is long, praise him, you've got to praise him, and so through grits of teeth, I did, just there, under my breath, right there in the midst of my misery, I just started to worship him and try and bring worship up in my heart. And it was like he was speaking to me and coaching me in that moment like a father through a fairground ride. Now, I'd like to say that in that moment, everything got dramatically better, but realistically, 
It didn't, but it definitely did start to get better at that point. And so as I pushed more and more into God in that season, I remembered how, and I clearly still do, even in the moment of my distress, that God had reminded me that in the midst of misery, in spite of what I was feeling and the pressure that I felt bearing down on me, that he is still near and that his intention would always be for me to go to him, to worship him, to praise him, to remember him, not to get swayed and led by my emotions as the final arbiter of truth, but in spite of my emotions and circumstances, to remember that he is God and that he is good and that he is near and that in and out of season, my job, our job is to trust him and turn our faces towards him and ultimately to praise him. And that lesson has served me incredibly well over the years as I've had to remember in and out of season, in the highs and lows of life, stay fixed on what is unchanging and true. My emotions are not unchanging and true. He is unchanging and true. God is near. God is good. Therefore, whatever the situation and circumstance you find yourself in, praise him. There you go. That's the gospel according to the dodgems. The doctrine of the dodgems, if you like. In, uh, in today's psalm, the writer is uh, he's in a similar place. In fact, his pressure is much more real than mine was. It sounds from uh, reading through this like there's a bunch of violent men who are chasing him down and they're trying to kill him for some reason. And he's weary and he feels like the walls are closing in on him and he is spent. In fact, in the um, ESV uh, translation of the Bible, the psalm is actually entitled, God, don't forsake me when my strength is spent. That itself sounds like a pretty good prayer for us to pray in a season of weariness. God, remember me. God, don't forget me when I'm broken, when I'm lost, when I'm depressed, when I'm anxious, when I can't see a way forward. Don't forget me. Be who you say you are in this moment. Let's read it together. Psalm 71. As I, as I read this line by line, try and think about a man writing in his diary, line after line of his most inner thoughts, as he's facing, quite literally, a group of men who are chasing him and trying to kill him. Imagine how you might express a situation like that and see if you can relate to how he writes this song. <clears throat> Psalm 71. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I've become a sign to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds. Yours alone. 
Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Anyone ever written a journal entry in their diary like that? It's a pretty rough day. It's a pretty intense song. We're spending a lot of time in this series talking about life's problems and the chaotic state of the world, partly because life is tough at times and the world is chaotic. And this psalm should help us both to validate our feelings when we face tough times because we can join with these psalmists in articulating how we feel and how to approach God. And this psalm, like all the others, should also give us practical ways on how to respond to and trust God when the chips are down. And so I want us just to work through the psalm methodically and pick out some of the ways that we might make sense of and respond to our God of refuge when we face the troubles of life. First thing, see this in verse 1 to 4. Start when you face the troubles of life by remembering who he is as you present your needs to him. There is nothing casual about how the psalmist comes to God. He's not just throwing out words and hoping for the best. He stills his soul by acknowledging and articulating properly who he is speaking to. And then he makes his request. That's a, that's a great model for prayer. In fact, that's how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, then it goes on to deliver me from evil, forgive my sins, give me my daily bread. This psalm teaches us to do the same thing. Tell him that you know who he is. Acknowledge him. That alone is a type of worship. And then ask your father for what you need. Verse 1. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. He acknowledges that God is Lord and that God is his refuge. Verse 2. In your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me, hear me, save me. At times... That prayer might be all you've got. I certainly don't want to encourage you to be lazy in your prayer life. We should all have a rich conversational relationship with God. But there will also be some seasons when all you've got is what I've just described. God, you are good. I acknowledge you. I remember who you are and what you're like. You are good. God, in this situation, would you please help me and save me? I'm in need. Amen. That's okay. Other times it'll be important to have fuller discussions and conversations with God, and that should absolutely form part of your whole prayer landscape over the course of time. But always, in the good and the bad, there should be this pattern of verse 1 and 2. I acknowledge who you are, and I acknowledge what you're like, and in light of that, would you please provide what I need in the in situation that I find myself in? The, um, the American pastor, John Piper, suggests that as we look at our lives with God, we should see something of a rhythm of desperation where we call out to God for something and deliverance where we see his faithfulness in breaking through in that situation. Deliverance, desperation, deliverance. Desperation, deliverance. In other words, like the psalmist, he is 
desperate. So he calls out to God for deliverance. That's a really good paradigm to have when we're under pressure, stressed, broken, weary, desperate. Acknowledge that in heaven you have an advocate, a redeemer, one who sits on the throne of all grace and glory and call out to him for deliverance. That's why he writes in verse 1 to 3, you alone are my refuge. You alone are righteous. Therefore, because you are a refuge and because you are righteous, rescue me, heal me, save me, deliver me. Be the refuge to which I can always go. In Psalm 50, verse 15, God tells us to call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And so in our day of need, in the day of trouble, when your circumstances seem broken beyond your ability to fix them, when you're desperate, remember who he is and what he's like and call on him. Call out to him for deliverance and then wait patiently for him to move. David said that in Psalm 40, didn't he? I waited patiently for the Lord. And then he inclined his ear and heard my cry and he pulled me out of the miry clay and placed me on the rock. That's a good model there. Wait patiently for him to move and lean not on your own understanding, but with everything you've got, lean your whole weight and trust on him until he delivers you and gives you grace in that situation to stand. Second thing, because he has been good, so he will be good. I talked about this a few weeks back when uh, we were on the last day of the year when we were looking at um, the things God had done amongst us in the last year. A key thing for us to do, a key skill for us to develop um, as Christians, especially in such a frantic instant gratification society, is to develop our long-term memory of what God has done in your life. Because when we remember what he has done, and we remember that he is unchangingly good, we can know that he will be unchangingly faithful and good to us in the future. The memory of our past with God should shape our confidence of the future with him. This psalm is, is written by someone who's he's not a young man. In verse 17, he says, Since my youth, God, you've taught me, to, and to this day I declare your marvelous, marvelous deeds, he's reflecting on a life lived with God in the moments of crisis and all that he has known of God's goodness in establishing hope and confidence in his life. What has God done in your life that you can articulate while it's still daylight so that in the dead of night or in the day of trouble, when it's harder to remember these things, you can call them to mind and cling to him. In what ways has God been good to you in your life? Think on that. Write it down. Commit it to memory. Give thanks to him for it throughout your life. Because like the psalmist, it will build your confidence in your trust that God can deliver you. Because in many ways in your life, he already has delivered you. One of the stories that um, is imprinted in my brain and heart, and uh, something that I give thanks for very often, most days in fact, I hardly ever talk about this publicly, is something that happened to me when I was just a baby, I was a year old. At the, uh, at the time, if you were around in the 70s, London was experiencing a spate of IRA bombings um, uh, back in the 1970s and 80s. One day in, in 1976, when I was just a year old, I know, I only looked 25, but actually the reality <laughs> is I was a year old in 76, uh, my mother and father were getting ready to go for a day out with me in which the three of us were going to get on a train and we're going to go into London to go to a design exhibition at Earl's Court. I would have been in a pushchair or a pram as a baby, of course. Bearing in mind a pushchair, a child in a pushchair sits in front of a parent's legs, don't they? Now, as my mother tells the story, some unusual and unexpected delays cropped up that morning and someone who had cast iron promised to meet us to go to the exhibition with us just 
for some reason, didn't show up, which was highly unusual for this person, and this obviously delayed us all, which completely changed the shape of the day, such that my mother felt that the right thing to do at this point was to change the plan to take me, and at the last minute, instead, to leave me at home with my grandmother. So that's what they did. They changed the plan at the last minute, left me with my grandmother, caught the train, and went off to Earl's Court for the exhibition. Shortly after arriving, my mother and father saw smoke coming out of a, a waste paper bin, and they went over to investigate, at which point it exploded. It was a bomb, and it was aimed not at killing people, but at injuring, maiming, and injuring people's legs specifically. And to cut, to cut a long story short, my parents were the closest people to that bomb. They both had multiple and very serious injuries to their lower legs. They spent months in hospital and years recovering and being, operating, uh, being operated on, and I, who would have been the closest human being to the bomb in a pushchair at leg height, was at home safely with my grandmother because my mum had had a weird feeling at the last minute that she should change a plan because of a series of circumstances that had changed. I have no doubt to this day that those delays and that sequence of events that led to the last minute change of plan in which I was spared being the closest person to a bomb, a baby in a pushchair facing a bomb, was the work of God in saving my life. I have no doubt about that. I should not be here. My kids should not be here. Their kids one day should not be here. If things had gone as planned, if the person they'd agreed to meet had showed up, I would have been the closest person to a bomb, age one-year-old. I should not be here but for the grace of God. God has a plan for his people. And it's to heal, and it's to save, and it's to deliver. And so any time I feel like God isn't able to heal and save and deliver me in the dead of night or in times of trouble, I remember that story. And I remember that even at age one, and at so many times since, God has stood between me and certain disaster and has saved and healed and delivered me in all sorts of ways. And he has you as well. So as I, of course, reflect over my life and on the story and others like it, it, it builds confidence that God is good and that God is able. Verse 5, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Verse 6, from my birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I could have written these words. If you want to know in your bones that God is good and that he is strong and that he's a safe refuge. Don't wait until you're on the back foot fleeing from enemies and wading through life's circumstances or watching the news asking why there's so much evil in the world. Trace back God's goodness to you, especially in light of all the evil in the world, and build a personal theology of his goodness and faithfulness on that. Third thing, be honest with your father as you present your needs to him. One of the things I love about this psalm is this guy is just not beating around the bush. He's done. He's not playing games. He doesn't sugarcoat the situation, nor does he try to hyper-spiritualize it either. That's the kind of the converse opposite, if you like. He's just raw and he's honest. And this is important because if you really believe that God is your father, then you need to be able to approach him and speak to him as a father. Verse 10, my enemies speak against me. They're planning to kill me. So verse 13, may they perish, may they be covered with shame. Again, I'm not sure everyone's written that in their diary lately. 
It's pretty raw. The psalmist is asking God to kill his enemies. It's actually quite a common way for people to talk and to pray in those days, in that time in history. So I'm not encouraging you today to pray for, I don't know, God to wipe out your boss or your annoying neighbor or anything. But this psalm does really give us a paradigm for just being real and raw with God as our Father. And so he should. So he should. He's big enough to take it. He loves it when we're honest with him and we pour out our hearts to him. And he's able to heal and to deliver and to save you at the same time as showing unmerited mercy and grace to your enemies too. That's the remarkable thing about the grace of God. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And through Christ, all of us can know his forgiveness and his welcome. Even annoying people. Even your boss. Now, that gives us a framework to go to God when things in life are just rubbish and say, Lord, right now things are rubbish. And knowing what I do of you, I expected a different outcome. I'm desperately angry about this injustice that I've endured or that I see. I'm deflated that my situation hasn't changed. I'm discouraged that my prayers haven't been answered. And so I'm bringing that to you and knowing who you are, And knowing what you're like, I'm asking you for a different outcome. Can you please wipe out and remove my enemies, this giant that I'm facing, this financial giant in front of me, this emotional enemy that I'm dealing with, this relational issue bearing down on me? And in the wisdom of God, sometimes he will answer your prayer directly. Sometimes he'll answer it in a different way. And sometimes he won't answer it at all because it's not right or because he's doing something different through your circumstances because he's a father and good fathers do what they believe to be best for their children. I am relatively inconsistent in how I parent my two girls. Why? Because they're different and I'm their father and I know what they need. And that is true of how it sometimes is with God as well. He's not inconsistent in his justice and mercy but he meets us and accommodates us for who we are and where we're at. Victor's got a book at home. It's a a book of psychology for kids, and it's called Stuff That Sucks. It's actually quite a helpful book, and uh, the idea is uh, that it's meant to help kids who are anxious to know that life isn't always rosy, and it's okay to acknowledge that. Sometimes, stuff just sucks. Uh, It's a very sanitized way of putting what the psalmist is actually saying here. As a father myself... I know that part of the job description is that from time to time, my own kids will sometimes tell me that uh, things at home don't meet their requirements. Uh, I'm sure anyone else with kids here knows that experience, don't get me wrong, they are absolutely amazing girls, but if we run out of, I don't know, goat's cheese or prosciutto for the sourdough, it's a crisis. That's okay, they're awesome girls, and I'm big and ugly enough to know that suffering is relative, and that sometimes dad just has to hear the complaints. And I can choose to respond in a way that seems right to me in their best interests. So too with our Father in heaven. Sometimes stuff just sucks. It's okay to acknowledge that. He's your Father, and he knows the situation in your heart already, which is why he gives us psalms like this one to give us a language that should help us to speak to him and to pray when life is rough. And he has patience with you, and he has power for you because he's your father. So it's a very legitimate response to go to him and say, Lord, this is not what I expected from this situation. From all that I know of you, that you are a refuge, that you are good, that you do want to do something to shape and perfect my faith. In light of all of that, I expected something different. 
I expected a different outcome to my circumstances. This situation is just hard. Would you please intervene? That's a completely legitimate prayer. And if this psalm teaches us anything, it's actually a very normal and human and quite intimate way of speaking to your Father in heaven. So we should do it. Fourth thing, acknowledge the God of the valleys. Verse 20 says, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. Say what? God has made me see many troubles. Why would he do that? Allow me to take you for a moment to another psalm, Psalm 23, possibly the, the, the most pastoral and well-known of all the psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. Great. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Wonderful so far. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Okay, wait a minute. Who is doing the leading here? God. God is leading me along the right paths in life. And he is so committed to this task that he has staked his own reputation on it. He leads me along the right paths, not so that I get an easy life. He does it for his namesake, it says. Think on that. That means that when God is leading you along a path, it can only be a good and right path because his leading of you is linked to his good and right reputation as a good and faithful God. That's amazing. It means that in every path that God takes me, however it feels in the moment, however it felt to me in the moment as I stood on the beach feeling rubbish, it's a path of his choosing for his good purposes in my life, and it points to his goodness and glory. But look at the very next line in the psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. In verse 3, God is doing the leading through the right paths, and in verse 4, that path is a dark valley. Sometimes the dark valleys, the circumstances in the dark seasons, are actually valleys that God has led us into. And this is crucial to get into you because behind every single act of God in your life, including leading you into dark valleys, there is a kindness or a discipline or a shaping or something he wants to do to bring about the next level of healing or freedom for you. I'll never forget a friend of mine who was a jeweler telling me about the process that a rough piece of diamond goes through to become the, the beautiful sparkly thing that ends up on a ring. He said that you, you start with a fairly dirty, ordinary, glassy-looking stone, and a highly trained specialist then spends a long time putting that stone under and through the most brutal processes, grinding it down, putting it under high-pressure machinery, lasering it, and then polishing it and shining it up, and then he starts the process again. From time to time in this process, he told me, in the old days particularly, before modern machinery, they used to take a big stick and every now and again just whack it as hard as they could to reveal any flaws and faults in the stones so that by the end of it, what you're left with is a perfect gem, sparkly and beautiful and flawless and ready for what it was designed to be. That really spoke to me about how God sometimes works in our lives. He's always about revealing the design intentions of our lives, which frankly are always to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, and to worship him. And that means that alongside all the blessings and the gentle polishings, sometimes we go through the grinder and the high-pressure intensity polisher. And sometimes he allows us to go through dark valleys. Sometimes he leads us 
into dark valleys where it feels like we've been hit with a whopping great big stick. And all of this is to reveal flaws and to bring out beautiful facets in the shaping process of our lives. But the next verse of Psalm 23 reminds us what we're to know of our God when we find ourselves in a season like that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. When God leads you into a dark valley, fear not, he's with you. He has staked the reputation of his own name on it. He simply can't leave you alone because in Christ, he is Emmanuel, the God who is with you. And so as part of the experience of walking with God, we need to learn to accept the dark valley experiences of life, knowing that even then, God is still with us leading us, protecting us, guiding us, and revealing in us through that dark valley experience a glory and a beauty and a freedom that we otherwise wouldn't know. That bomb explosion, as awful and as evil as it was, was a significant step in the process of my mother coming to faith in Christ, which in itself was a significant step in the process of me coming to faith in Christ, which in itself is a significant step in the process of my kids coming to faith in Christ. So if you find yourself in the valley, or rather, when you find yourself in the valley, hold on. He's still good, and he's still with you, and he's still doing a good thing in you. Final thing. Even in the day of trouble, we worship. There's a song that we sometimes sing. It goes like this. This is how I fight my battles. Remember that song? This is how I fight my battles. That's more or less it. Just over and over again, we sing that refrain. This is how I fight my battles. Through singing, through worship. It's the story I told you about what happened to me at the beach that day. As as I, in the heat of the battle, felt God say, sing to me, praise me, worship me. The lyrics of that song are, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Throughout the psalm, remember, Psalm 71 is is written as a song. It's a song of worship. Throughout all the troubles that he's facing, as a bunch of men seek to take his life. Verse 14, as for me, I'll praise you more and more. Verse 22, I'll praise you with a harp and for your faithfulness, my God. Verse 23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. Why? This is important in verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I, whom you have delivered, in the midst of your troubles, worship, praise him, stand firm in what you believe and know to be true as you wait on him to deliver you, declare in the valley of the shadow of death what you know to be true of him in the mountaintop of joy. That is the very substance of what it means to exercise faith. It's not just believing that he exists, it's waiting patiently on him as we believe and declare that he is good and that he is doing something in your life even when it feels rubbish. That's faith. That's what he's building into us. And that's why he sometimes allows circumstances to come up that shape and reveal this in you. Look at how this psalm ends. It started with, In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. It ends with, Those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame. Desperation, deliverance. He is good. He is able. 
He is powerful. He is compassionate. His whole nature is to receive you and to comfort you and to heal you and to save you and to deliver you. This is what he does for his namesake. Your healing, your salvation, the right paths that he leads you down. These things are tied up with his reputation. He has made it so. He has staked his reputation on caring for you and leading you in the best possible way to build your faith and to care for your soul and to lead you to ultimately dwell in his house with him forever. And that means that as long as he is God and he will always be God, you're in the best possible place when you're in him. When you run to his strong tower, when you cling to the refuge, God calls himself a refuge, amongst other things. Refuges are not for when things are going well. They're a place to run to when things have gone wrong and you need protection. This series, God of Refuge, invites you, whoever you are, God himself invites you, whoever you are, to run to him, to be in him, to find protection and refuge and comfort and peace and healing and salvation in him alone. Our God gateway is a mighty refuge. The righteous run to him and are safe. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you so much for psalms like this and for our lived experience of you in knowing that you are our Father, that you love to welcome us, even in our strife and our trouble and our distress, and that in spite of those things, you love us and you offer yourself to us as a refuge. Thank you that today, those who have accepted your son Jesus find themselves in you. We are in the refuge. We are in the strong tower. Lord, I thank you there's no taking down the tower that is our God. So today I pray for my brothers and sisters once again, whatever season we find ourselves in, whatever season of the soul we're experiencing, that again today we'd both remember and if we need to, to run once again into your arms, into your embrace, into the tower that will never fall. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that you are a strong tower. The righteous can run to you and be safe. Lord, we love you and we lift you up. Amen. Amen.